Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World, and it's happy hour with the happiest young man in the building, Nate Foy. He's Fox News senior tall correspondent. I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, I'm very happy to have you here at happy hour. We're just going to have um, some fruit juice. Okay. It's it's a mocktail version of a boulevardier. Do you okay. know what a boulevardier is? I don't. It's um, historically Campari and bourbon and uh, sweet vermouth. Okay. Um, but we can't do that because they're mocktails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do have real tangerine peel that I'm going to put in here. Ooh, look at this. Isn't oh, that lovely? Very nice. You came prepared. So I uh, very briefly was a bartender. Oh, nice. So and, did you ever make this drink? Well, no. I, I As in, I was a bartender for like two days before they moved me back to the floor as a waiter because I couldn't remember all go. the drinks. I, I could do the beer and the I wine. Mean, I feel like you should have like a little book if, they're, if you're having to do – because people – go to bars and they're jerks about it yeah. and it's like there's certain things like do you know how to make a duck fart <laughs> well you know you I, I was it. coming out of really college. really hard when you're hugging it I, w- I was coming out of college where i couldn't afford anything so yeah. i was just Look getting this boulevardier the cheapest vodka mixed drink that i could drink yeah sure that's what you do and, and beer yeah so so i didn't know everything that's for you. that Thank is you. a fender guitar pick in the in the glass very nice okay cheers, cheers. To Nate Foy and your Nate Foyness. Okay, thank you very much. To the Boulevardier mocktail. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> it really is. It's so fruity. So many fruit juices in here, Nate. It's the uh, it's the orange peel that does it for mm-hmm. me. A tangerine. Mm. Um. So, anyways, yeah, very very short and disappointing career as a bartender, and yeah. I uh, where, where where was this? Where'd you go to college? Mar- well, I went to college at the University of Miami. Oh, nice! And then, the Hurricanes. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we're finally good at the football U. this year. We're we're three and zero. Oh, that's great! So is UCLA. So that's exciting. Growing up, the U Miami was always just the thorn in my side because I was raised a Boston College fan, and this was back when both teams were in the Big East. Okay. And Miami was great. They always beat BC in the. Was most that before the death penalty? The it was. Yeah. And then I went to U Miami, and ever since we've been horrible. So th- this is the first year that so it's like I'm the curse of the Bambino a, a bit, kind of like that. But you're except I'm you're the not Bambino. Babe Ruth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the one who went and cursed the school. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but that's so. What is it about us that we love college football long after we leave college? Well, it's getting strange. I was thinking about this the other day. Now that I'm so much older than all the players, because. I looked up to all these people my entire life. Yeah, and for a long time, you're like, oh, yeah, that could be me. Like, and, they, and they should probably book looked, me, and I'm the same age. And they look so much older than they, they are. They do. They look like fully formed adults from the time they're, like, 16. Like, now I'm thinking that these college athletes look like maybe they could be my friend, and then I have to remind myself that these are 18-year-olds. Yes, they're children. So, so that's added a, a strange experience to to watching not only college sports, but a lot of professional athletes are younger than me now as well. But – I don't know. I, I've always loved sports. My dad played for, uh, coincidentally, the Boston College point shaving team. I don't know if you remember that. In 1979, oh, yeah. uh, I believe it was, there were uh, some 
some mobsters, uh, Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke, the guys that they, they figured the some, they, they are always looking the to figure out a system. Yeah, there were three players on my dad's team that were shaving points. But your dad wasn't shaving. He was not shaving points. He, did he know what was going on? Have you asked him about it? He did not. He the, the news broke when he was a senior. He was the captain of the team when it happened. Oh, no. So he was interviewed by the FBI and, and everybody. There's a book written about it. My dad is featured heavily in the book because wow. he's a journalist. Is that dream. how you got into broadcasting? No, 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 no. Uh, I got into broadcasting. I did want to be a sports broadcaster originally. Yeah. And so did I. That, did you? Before I, when I got into radio, I got into music radio, and I was obsessed with Jim Rose, Jim Rome show. He was on the Mighty Six Ninety yeah. in San Diego, and I thought like the amount of knowledge that he had and the way he was able to spar with callers, and I thought he was like there was something about his energy, and so I've always kind of modeled my broadcasting after sports broadcasting yeah because it's it's so high energy and it's fun and you have to know as much as the people who consume whatever you're delivering and i had a great deal of respect for that yeah but then i realized like how much you really had you couldn't be like i'm a casual fan i love sports i love sports stories i love my teams but i don't have encyclopedic knowledge of it to the point where I could be a credible sports broadcaster. Well, and, and that was why I ultimately moved away from it. I'm the same way. I, I really care about my teams, and I felt silly memorizing the statistics of every player in the league and you know the contractual details of each deal. And um, it, it just felt, as I got older and older, like it was too trivial to focus so much time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made the, the switch to news, but... Uh, it's funny that you say that you model your style off sports broadcasters because I'm the same way. Yeah. When I was growing up, Sports Center wasn't 24/7 live like it is now, so they would just rerun the same episode over and over yes. and over again. And by the third hour, I was reciting the episode to my family, and I had my favorite sportscasters. And when I woke up and I saw that it was Stuart Scott, or you know, more recently Scott Van Pelt. I love Stuart Scott. Scott, oh, R.I.P. Just amazing. I know. Just yeah. and and that story was so tragic, but you realize how important sports are to people. Just the, the outpouring of love and, and his story and his life, uh, how much that really means to people. Yeah. Like, and- I understand why certain sports broadcasters get paid a lot of money. Not Joe Buck. I don't think he's that great. Like whenever I watch Monday Night Football and I see Joe Buck, I'm like, mm. he's grown on me a little bit over the years. I think he's very professional. It's different when you're a play-by-play I think he broadcaster. Talks too much. I love Troy Aikman. Because he's a UCLA Bruin. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I I used to really not like Joe Buck. Now I would say that I'm lukewarm on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not one of my favorites. Who's your favorite right now? Scott Van Pelt. I love Scott Van Pelt. He's so I do. Good. I probably shouldn't say that. I should be like Fox Sports guys. He's my phenomenal. favorite. I do love how I love Fox's soccer coverage. I think it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. I, I do. I think they have a phenomenal soccer broadcast team. Yeah. And I hope, like, they're not snobs, and I hope they bring people over to love soccer. soccer. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I think Scott Van Pelt is amazing. I think he's so good. He's the GOAT. He's so nimble. Right now. Uh, he's, he's not a snob, which I really appreciate, and he wants to bring you with him, which is the mark of a great broadcaster. What I think he's doing that, that you don't see from – a lot of the other people on SportsCenter, you can tell when it's scripted. Yes. And and the same thing, at least we can tell, you know, people who, who do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people at home can also tell. 
Um, I think it's because Scott Van Pelt is a radio guy at his heart. Yes. And he essentially takes that same approach to his television show. And it's the reason why so many young people like podcasts. There's no safety net and you don't know where the conversation's going. And the person has enough leeway where they theoretically could talk themselves into trouble. Mm -hmm. They could totally fail at what they're trying to do. And that's compelling. It's the hero complex where you're like, is this person going to come through? And I think that particularly at the local level in, in TV news, um, that's part of the reason why young people don't watch it because everything up to the weather chat is scripted. Yes. And no matter how good you are at reading a teleprompter, people can generally tell. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it's it's funny you say that because my first job when I left MTV was in local talk radio in Seattle. And I was so bad at it. I mean, it was awful because I didn't know that, you know, a lot of that spontaneity is born out of preparation. Yeah. Like you have to be prepared in order to move in certain directions, especially if you're interviewing someone and you don't know what the hell they're talking about. So you have to be able to move with them, guide them, get them to say stuff maybe that you don't know and the audience doesn't know, but there has to be a foundation of preparation. And that's where I learned that. But I was so bad at first. And I, I was at an event last weekend and I pay tribute to my mentor in Seattle who was this veteran broadcaster. He passed away this year, but just a phenomenal guy who saw that I was struggling and took me aside and it wasn't a boss and it wasn't my producer. And he really did it as an act of kindness and and he helped me and he helped me figure out like, how do you prepare for things? How do you interview people? And without him, I really would have floundered. And, uh, you know, that's what made me want to be a mentor at Fox. Like I love mentoring people. I love talking with people, helping them figure out mechanics, which we don't do enough of in TV, which is a big thing in radio. And, you know, but you're absolutely right. So once you kind of learn that and learn how to operate without a safety net, I do think that radio is a phenomenal preparation for broadcasting. Totally. And, And to go through that growth process, there are many sort of like jump off the cliff, courageous moments. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. For me, it, w- it was sort of the opposite where I started in local news. Well, I, I did do – Where did you start? Uh, ooh, I started in market 206. There, at the time, there were only 211 markets. Oh, wow. So the so fifth like smallest Fayetteville, Arkansas? Place, uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. Well done. St. Joe's. Woo! Home of the Pony Express. And, uh, and the Baloney Pony Express, which is a men's jiggle joint that a lot of people don't uh, visit. <laughs> Apparently, Eminem was born there. And then moved to Detroit after like six months. She moved to um, But they, I don't want to talk too bad about St. Joe, but uh, they It's do, a lovely part of the country to be a part of for a while. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was great for my career. Great people there. Was it there was, good barbecue? There was good barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was definitely a tough time for me. You yeah. know, it, it, there's Kansas City, which is great. St. Joe is, is what, like an hour and 10 minutes, I believe, northwest of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a farm town. So for me, there was culture shock. Yeah. Um, I was the only out-of-towner in the newsroom. So, um, And they knew what you were doing. They're like, oh, you're just – you're leapfrogging. A they, little they, bit. They see – There was a little bit of tension. You're a tall, handsome guy in a Thank small you. market, first year in broadcast. And like, all right, see you on Fox, buddy. They called me Big City Nate. 
and I had never lived in a big city. The reason why they called me Big City Nate was I walked in the very first day with with Starbucks mm-hmm. and um, like more than one person. I'd say like, like three church, or Nate. four people had two liters of Coke oh, okay, yeah. that they were drinking individually mm-hmm. at, at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm the one who should be making fun of you guys. But Yeah, diabetes. But but I was the new guy in town, so I, I, I took my licks. But uh, ultimately, I made great you know, relationships there. A few people I'm still in contact with to this day. Um, so I, I started there. Um, prior to that in college, I did the student TV thing at UMiami. Yeah. I was a play-by-play baseball broadcaster in the Cape Cod League. Is that a difficult sport to play-by-play? For me, it was the easiest, interestingly. Um, so I played basketball. Okay. Not particularly well, but in high school, I was decently Didn't you good. dunk on... Kevin Love or Christian Leitner? Or... I, I blocked Kyrie Irving's shot. That's what it is. I knew uh, it was a flat earther. And I uh, I could, you know, get up and dunk. And, mm-hmm. um, anyways, I, uh, I played basketball. I thought that I would be really good at basketball play-by-play. And it didn't really translate. I never, I never did enough of it to overcome those, those hurdles. Yeah, that seems um, like a really tough one. To it was just—it's a fast-paced sport, and the court's really not that big. Yeah, I mean they're constantly moving, and I just didn't have enough ways to describe like a being in the paint. Yeah, yeah, like a two-point basket pump fake. I, yeah, I—I I felt like I was just repeating myself over and over and over again. Whereas baseball, Boom goes, there goes the dynamite. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that bad? Yeah, that uh, guy's amazing. But it wasn't—it wasn't my best work. Um, and then with baseball. I enjoyed the fact that you would have whatever five seconds of a play, yeah, and then you would have thirty-five seconds to kill just chatting. Do you like the pitch clock? So I don't watch a whole lot of baseball anymore, but I think that it makes a lot of sense because the reason I don't watch baseball is because it I, takes too damn long. I didn't have three hours to invest one hundred and sixty-two days a year. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a good idea, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I watched an entire baseball game from start to finish this year. Are you a Red Sox fan? I am. Get out of the studio. <laughs> My adopted New York team is the Mets. Oh God. Are you a Yankees fan? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jesus Christmas. And you're 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 a Rangers fan as well, yes. right? So are we just a, across the board rivals? We we're gonna. Have what to else are you? Fight. Are you a Jets fan or a Giants fan? Uh, of the of those two, the Giants. Even worse for me. You're a Jets fan? No, worse for me. I'm a Patriots fan. Oh. If you're a Jets good. fan, I can sit here and make fun of you all day. Yeah. But, but the Giants are the only team in it's the NFL. That shouldn't hate the Patriots. I can't stand it when Giants fans talk about hating the Patriots because the better the it's Patriots were, yeah. the more impressive the Giants Super Bowls are. Yeah, absolutely right. That's that, well said. And hopefully, I like the San Francisco 49ers. Like, that's my team. That's your team now. I'm a member of the faithful because I grew up in Portland. And we didn't have, we had for like a year, we had a USFL team, the Portland Breakers. Now, not enough time for people to get invested in the team. Yeah. So it was like, People from Portland don't really like Seattle teams, by and large. I mean, there are some people, but I always liked the 49ers because my stepdad is a 49ers fan. Okay. And I got to take him to the Super Bowl in 2020. And what do you do? You think Brock Purdy is? is I love the Brock guy? Purdy. You yeah. Think, you think he can take you to the promised land? I I think I had high hopes for Jimmy Garoppolo. I really yeah. did. Uh, but then I saw that he was dating like porn stars at circus tits, and then I was like, <laughs> he's so ordinary. Like Jimmy Garoppolo became very basic to me. And then I was like, I'm done. And yeah. then he was just plagued with injuries and ineptitude. But I think Brock Purdy is – I love a Cinderella story. There, There is something about 
a quarterback being cool off the field and that somehow directly translating to wins. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady's the man. Wow. Brave sentence there, Nate. Peyton Manning is also the man. I think he's awesome. I love Peyton. I like the Manning brothers together. Yeah. Like, you know, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, has maybe more people that, that find him annoying, but he, he's like watching him play in the, the, the golf match, mm-hmm. whatever it was called with Brady. He's also the man. Yeah. Like all these guys, because they're leading an entire team. Yes. They need to have those intangibles. Um, to be able to galvanize the team and win games. Who has the most intangibles here at Fox? Oh, that's a great question. Across the board or in... Uh, you know, just the, the vibe. Who has like a great vibe? Like you see you're, them... You're, and, at the, you're at the top of the list. Nate, huh? you don't have to say that. <laughs> uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy's Jimmy got, Fela, okay, so, he's got a lot of intangibles. So Jimmy, when I go on the road with Jimmy, like people lose their minds. I don't think... Because wherever we go, it's it's usually a radio market for him. Yeah. And they lose their minds because he is in the world how he is at Fox and how he is in his home. When I, It's like blazers and white cowboy boots, and he talks to everyone the same. Yeah. And he talks to everyone as though he's known them his whole life. And that is a gift. Oh, it is. It is also, I think for anyone else, exhausting. <laughs> well, for me, I can say that like when I got to Fox, I was, for the first time, I felt totally intimidated uh, by, really? by by seeing people that I had watched okay. on air for, for years. Because rising the ranks in local news, you walk into the newsroom and you, you're introduced to the main anchor. You know that this is the guy. Yeah. But I wasn't watching. I'm Kent Halsey. Great to see you, Nate. I wasn't watching Fort Sit Myers local news. You yeah. know, so I didn't have any like preconceived notions about who these people were. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I so admire people like Bill Hemmer and, and have for a while. And then I find myself on the desk talking to him. And it was just this surreal moment. And Jimmy was one of those people that, that just instantly made me feel so comfortable. Yeah. For the reasons that you mentioned, he's the same. Yes. And he, he very uh, – he described himself as the Kool-Aid man of Fox News that he just like burst through the wall. <laughs> He's like, hey, everybody, it's you know, absolutely. A thousand percent I true. thought that was such a funny description and accurate. Yeah, um, he he just has a way of making you put your guard down. And it, it feels like a very authentic interaction every time that you're talking to. Yeah, him. he's he's amazing. Um, and the amount of energy that he has, like I do a lot of stuff. You know, it's like I have to balance my day, but I listen to his day and I'm exhausted listening to it because he'll do hits from his home studio like 430 in the morning and then he'll go write his book for two hours and then he'll come to Fox, do some more hits, do his radio show, go out and do a stand up comedy special. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's so whatever he has coming like he has earned it. He really like there is nothing that has been given to him or that has been that has happened to him too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys were touring, right? Yes. The Last go? Liberty Tour. It was amazing. We we have one more date coming up Where in is uh, it? Utica, New York. Okay. Yeah. How many dates did you guys have? God, total? I think like eight or ten. It was so, really fun, though. Had you done stand-up before? No, I don't do stand-up. I have people come on stage, and I play Fox News trivia. Okay. And like, I'm spontaneous and fun in the moment and can make fun of people. Yeah. And then I tell two stories from my time at MTV and then do impressions. And then Jimmy comes out and does like... 45, 50 minutes of wall-to-wall stand-up. Yeah. Like, it's 
it, his set makes me laugh every time. And he's even put a bunch of new stuff in because he has a comedy special coming out on Fox Nation. Oh, man, I'm going to have to watch that. That's yeah. great. How did you make the, the transition from VH1 MTV to Fox? And, I was never on VH1. Well, I was on VH1 on Best Week Ever, but that was like in 2004, 2005. Um, and that's how I put myself through college was doing Best Week Ever because that was really the only job I had. So I would go every week to VH1 and then they ask you questions about topics of the week. And that's how I paid for college. Okay. Um, but I was into politics. I got into politics the same time I got into music in high school. And I moved to California after high school to get into politics. And I ended up getting into music. And then I worked at music radio at KROQ, which was amazing. And then went to MTV. And, you know, at all these different shows, people always come up to me like, that, did you have as much fun as it seemed? I'm like, it was even better than it seemed. Like, whatever you thought was happening, it happened 24 hours a day. Like, I have a chapter in my book called... It's not working. They're all f***ing because the first beach house, they had everyone living in the beach house. And I'm talking all the PAs, all the producers, and these are like 22 to 25-year-olds. And they're all single, and they all started hooking up. Yeah. And then after a few weeks, the relationship started falling apart, and then people wouldn't work together, and they were ignoring each other. This sounds like and local news. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> and then, but throw on top of that... Rock stars coming to the house, Radiohead, Stone Temple Pilots, Dr. Dre was on work release from prison and showed up to give away a 64 Impala, a 64, if you will. And he had his ankle bracelet on. And it was just like so many of these surreal moments. And it's like, but that like, for example, in 1994, when two New York Rangers came to the beach house with the Stanley Cup, like we screwed around on TV and like put little eyeballs and a mustache on him and called him Stanley and then put a bunch of ice in and had like a raw bar and we were eating oysters and shrimp cocktail out of the Stanley Cup. But then, like, we stopped filming and the two guys from the Rangers, Brian Noonan and Nick Kiprios, took the cup all around Quag. And this little hamlet on Long Island, they were all Rangers fans. They were not Islanders fans. And these people were so stoked, and they all went back to the beach house, and they all jumped in the MTV beach house pool with the Stanley Cup, which hit the bottom of the pool. Wow. And it's all a bunch of 22, 25-year-olds. It's like, yeah, this is a good idea. And then when the executive producer found out about it, like a bunch of people were almost fired. They couldn't replace the body, so they got to keep their jobs. Huh, okay. And one guy that I interviewed from my book who's now like, a very impressive TV executive. He used to sleep in the hot tub because all the rooms were filled with people who were hooking up. <laughs> and he was dating his girlfriend from Villanova. So he would go and sleep in the hot tub and then he would wake up when the sun came up. Oh, boy. As a prune. Oof. Yeah. How long was that? That was in, uh, that was in 1993. For a full 93, year? 93, 94. No, just two summers. Two summers, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you but made... it was, and that's John Stewart was a VJ that summer, and he was living in a teeny tiny apartment in Soho, and so he would beg to come out to the beach house and do video segments, and he would go out to the beach house on weekends when we weren't filming just to get out of his crappy apartment. His, yeah, oh, I know that feeling. Yeah, my first apartment, I, I made such a big mistake when I moved here. I wanted to be close to work. Yeah, so I ended up living on 7th and 36th. So I was right between Times Square and Penn Station. What a bummer. Wow. It was, and it was against the advice of everybody here at Fox. Yeah, I but, can't think of one person, even a realtor, would be going, you sure? Yeah. Like, it, we can show you every other apartment. Like, I got this 
cockroach-infested studio in East Harlem that might be better for you. The place was horrible, too. It, it, it didn't fit any sized couch. So oh. I had just like a chair, mm-hmm. small bedroom, and in the worst location you could possibly have. But I was a walk, to, walk away from work. Which for me at the time, honestly, looking back I on I mean, it, Midtown East is also pretty close. Yeah, no, there were so many different ways to get the same thing. Yeah. Um, but but that was that was a mistake. I'm now in East Village, which is much better. Oh, good for you. See, that's that's where I moved when I moved to New York in 1992. East Village? Yep. I, it feels authentic for me. West Village is so nice, but I feel like I haven't heard West Village Yeah, a bunch Village of my yet. friends moved to the West Village. I'm like, it's too much like a movie set. Yeah, it's perfect. Like, it was too, like, it, it's too perfect. Yeah. Like, you know, just like- East Village has that edge. Meters, exactly right. Like, the shit I identify heroin with. needle. <laughs> well, not that A part, good buggery. Yeah, I feel like in East Village, there's more people that are paying their own rent. Absolutely right. You know. Good for you. Well, um, Nate, this has been- an honor and a privilege. This has been a, a great happy hour. I know more about you. Um, I've I've learned about what inspires you, and now I look forward to you triumphing over all of us here at Fox. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I'm just happy to be part boss, of the team. When you're the boss, don't fire me. <laughs> I may be like Milton from Office Space, where they just move me slowly. I into know the I'll never be your boss. <laughs> don't don't fire me and don't take my stapler. That's all I ask. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Of course. This has been Nate Foy. And I'm Kennedy. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. Bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network.